We are in uh, the latter parts of our transformed series in the book of Acts, going through the book of Acts. And uh, Pastor Sean asked me to speak this weekend. I'm actually uh, kind of using as a foundation uh, chapter 26 in the, in the book of Acts. Uh, last weekend, I also spoke, but Pastor Sean gave me a chance to get up here and talk about worship a little bit. So it's a timely thing, because if you missed the announcement at the beginning of the service, TNT is coming up this Thursday night. And so if you're going to come to TNT, you ought to at least know how to worship. And so that's what we talked about last week, but we're back into our Transform series this week. And uh, like I said, we're in um, chapter 26, but and we're going to read through some chapter, some of chapter 26. But really, a lot of these final chapters in the book of Acts are kind of talking about very similar things. And what, what's happening a lot here is Paul keeps finding himself in front of various leaders, governors, even kings, telling his story. And we see this situation repeating itself multiple times. But one thing that is consistent is that these people heard the gospel and did not turn to Jesus. And here's, here's what I want you to consider right now. I want you to just imagine this, and it's a little bit unpleasant, but it, it helps us to get to where we're going today. I want you to think about what level of regret these different people that we read about must be experiencing. Because these are real people, right? This isn't just, this isn't a fairy tale. These are actual people that lived and breathed and existed during this time. And they actually lived, you know, on this earth. And now they exist based on what we know. I mean, they're, you know, these, some of these guys could have changed their mind and repented and followed Jesus later on. We don't know that. But if we just go by what we see in the Bible, these people are separated from God for eternity. Uh, along with all the other torment that that uh, that goes along with that, and ima and imagine the level of regret that you would have, having heard the call of God on your life through the Apostle Paul, and then in various different ways saying no, and now having an eternity to think back on that opportunity. That's an that's a massive, enormous level of regret. So regret is, is something, let me get ahead of myself just a little bit. What we're going to talk about here is how we can regret proof our life. And it's, it's, you know, it's interesting if you get online and you do a little bit of research about regret, what you're going to find uh, far and away it are ways to deal with regret once you have regret. And you're going to see all kinds of articles and posts and, and speeches about how to shake off regret and try to ignore it and things like that. We're not talking about that today. We're talking about what can we do in the here and now to not have regret in the future. So I like, instead of the Webster definition of regret, I like this other definition that I came across. It says, regret is a negative emotion that occurs when a person believes his or her past actions or behaviors, if changed, may have achieved a better outcome. 
That's when you, you feel bad because you realize that something you did, if you would have just done it differently, would have had a better outcome. This is regret. And uh, we've all had regret. We've all experienced it. If we were in a different setting here, we could go around the room and people could share stories. In fact, at our real life group this last week, we went around the room and people shared different stories. And of course, some regret is, is big, huge, significant things. And some regret is more, you know, lighthearted, uh, lesser things. I had an instance of regret. I'll go ahead and share since I've got the microphone. Uh, I had an instance of regret several years ago. I had, we had to get one of our vehicles uh, inspected. So I took it to a, a car repair place here locally. And while I was waiting, I, I needed to run in to, to use the restroom. And, and as I got into the restroom, I instantly experienced regret. And I'll show you why. I, they, had two, they had two signs that they'd put up on the walls in there. I actually took pictures of these. This isn't some meme I pulled off of, off of online somewhere. And I apologize if it's a little crass. Place your hand here if you need to lean against the wall to pee. And what I want to point out to you is the weathering and the distress on the page because it's a very well-used page, right? And then just to kind of top it off, on the way out of that room, they have this because these are instructions that everybody needs to, to be told before they leave this place. And so I walked into this place. I'm like, I think I can wait until I get somewhere else. So a little bit of regret, but that's, that's, that's small stuff, right? I mean, the type of regret that a lot of us deal with and what we're trying to avoid, which is massive regret, uh, is more serious than that. So what I want to talk about is the regret of not answering the call of God. Now, what we're going to see in these examples in Acts is the call of God to salvation, but I really think that those of us who are already saved can learn something extremely valuable from this because you're going to find that the same excuses and reasons that these people used to not answer the call of God to salvation are the same excuses and reasons that some of us use to not answer the call of God into his purpose for our life or we could really just say our destiny in him. So even as someone who's born again, saved, following Jesus, there is still a call of God on your life. You answered the call of salvation, praise God, but there's still a call of God on your life. And that doesn't necessarily mean that God's calling you into full-time ministry or to go to you know, a certain place to be a missionary or anything like that. But I do believe this, 100%. That each person here has a purpose. You have a unique purpose. And I mean unique. It is absolutely special and specific to you alone. And we're going to dig into this a little bit, and you're going to see that. So there is a call of God to purpose and destiny. And I had a... Um, one of those aha type moments, right? Like an epiphany uh, years and years ago. I, I don't remember if I was reading a book or whatever it was, 
But I remember where I was. It, it kind of marked me. And I had this realization that within minutes of stepping into eternity, my life here is going to come into crystal clarity. And here's what I mean by that. There are lots of things that are important to me, lots of things that I've made high priorities. And from where I stand right now, from my perspective right now, maybe some of those things that seem like high priorities aren't really that important. And maybe there are things that I haven't made a high priority that are very important. But as I step into eternity and I have that perspective, uh, you know, 1 Corinthians 13 says that now we see through a glass darkly, but then we'll see face to face. I believe that I'll see those things and I'll recognize. Let me give you like a hypothetical situation. Let's say you've got some project, some goal that you've set for yourself, whatever the case may be, you know, something kind of a, a high aspiration. I want to do this thing. I want to build this thing. I want to go on this massive trip, right? A, we could call it a bucket list item. And you, you expend energy, effort, creativity, and time to achieve that goal. And then you get to eternity and you look back and you realize that was not that big of a deal. Now it felt like a big deal at the time, but now that I'm looking back, it's not. And you might look at, instead at something like that neighbor of yours, right? That you lived next door to for 12 or 13 years and they still don't know Jesus. And, the, and in that moment you'd say, if I could just have an hour right? To go back and talk to that person. So what I'm saying is, in that moment, there's a potential that regret might hit you pretty hard. Um, each one of us has a purpose. Each one of us has a mission. And I know we're going to figure that out at some point, but wouldn't it be nice if we could do something about it in the time that we have to actually do something about it. So after all the games and the concerts and the vacations and the movies and the enjoyment of this life, which none of those things are bad things, but after all of that stuff, there are still people on the other side of your obedience. Like Pastor Sean preaches, there are still people on the other side of your obedience. And so there is a purpose for your life that no one else can fulfill. There are other, there, there are, there are things that you may be called to do that God could put someone else in that place to get something done, but it's not going to be the same because you are unique. Your purpose is unique. Uh, Ephesians 2.10 says this, we are his workmanship created for good works in Christ, which God prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. Let me switch it around a little bit. You are his workmanship, created for good works. You were created for good works in Christ. God prepared them beforehand. What's beforehand? Before you were ever born. God figured it out. He made a wonderful plan. He, made a, he created a purpose and a destiny that is just for you, that you might walk in it. So, 
when you leave this world for eternity, I believe you will see clearly all of the opportunities for God's kingdom that were before you. And my hope is that we can look back and say, thank you, Lord. I took advantage. I walked through those doors when you opened them. And then we hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, some of you might be thinking, this is, but you know, I don't, I don't know about this regret, you know, cause we're in heaven at that point, right? I mean, this is a place of joy. It's a place of peace. There's no pain. It says there's no sorrow. And I don't think that we'll have any regret because remember the Bible says that Jesus wipes away all our tears, right? Right. That's kind of my point. What are these tears about? And I'm not saying I know, know definitively the answer to this. It's a suggestion that I have. It's a thought that I have on this subject. Because they're not tears of joy. Why would Jesus wipe away our tears of joy? You know, it's like, they're not tears of pain because we are in heaven and there's no pain. My suggestion is it could be that some of these tears are tears of regret. So I want to look at a couple stories in the book of Acts, and I want to see if we can mine from these stories some valuable information that will help us regret proof our life. If there's something we could do right now that would help us avoid that, that would be good. Amen? So I, what I want to do, let's do it this way. I want to show you three dangerous responses to avoid when God calls you. And God will call you. If he hasn't already, he will. So let's look at three dangerous responses that we should avoid when we hear God call us so that we don't have tears of regret later. So first off, uh, we're going to look at uh, Agrippa. And this is in chapter 26. And Agrippa's response was not sure. Actually, the word that, that we see in the Bible is almost. But I think that what the, the way this kind of plays out is, I'm not sure. I, I hear God calling me. I hear Paul talking to me. I'm just not sure. And so let's, let's look at this. Now, Agrippa is a King Herod Agrippa II. That's who this, that's who this guy is. He's the grandson of the Herod that tried to kill Jesus when Jesus was born. And he's the son of Agrippa I who killed James. So he has kind of an infamous heritage already. And he is uh, visiting Festus, who replaced Felix as governor. So this is, he's visiting Festus. This is not the guy from Gunsmoke. This is uh, the governor that replaced Felix. Felix, we read about in, in, in chapter 24, and we're going to actually look at him here in just a second. And so he's visiting Festus, and he hears that Paul is uh, locked up there, and that Paul has appealed to Caesar, and he's going to be going to Rome. And so, and so Agrippa says, well, I want to hear Paul's deal. I want to hear what this is all about. So let's just look at it here, Acts chapter 26. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. 
So Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things of which I'm accused by the Jews, especially because you are expert in all customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. So Paul goes and explains his early life. He kind of basically gives all of his credentials and the authority that he has to speak on the, on the customs of the Jews because he was a Pharisee. He, was, he studied under a well-known Pharisee. And so he kind of lays out all of his um, you know, authority and reputation. And then Paul uh, recounts his conversion. He talks about being on the road to Damascus. There's a bright light. He actually hears Jesus talking to him. And then Paul talks about his post-conversion uh, light to Festus and Agrippa as well. So let's pick that up in verse 19. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem that throughout all the region of Judea, then to the Gentiles, that they should repent, turn to God, and do the works befitting repentance. For these reasons, the Jews seized me in the temple. They tried to kill me. Therefore, having obtained help from God to this day, I... Uh, to this day I stand witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses uh, said would come, that the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Now, as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. Verse 25, but he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the truth, words of truth and reason. For the king, now here's where Paul is kind of zeroing in on Agrippa. And I personally believe that in this moment that the Holy Spirit is speaking through Paul and drawing and calling Agrippa to salvation. I mean, I think that that's what's happening. That's, that's my personal commentary there. But... Uh, verse 26, for the king before whom I also speak freely knows these things. For I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention. Since this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. You almost persuade me to become a Christian. What a horrible word to consider and replay in your mind for eternity if you're Agrippa. You heard the call of God. You, you experienced the mercy of God calling you to repentance through Paul. And your response was, I'm just not sure. I'm just not sure. Almost expresses intention, but not action. Desire, but not decision. And I, I, want, I want to be able to say something strong and rapid in a nice, fluffy, friendly package right now. God is not that impressed with our intention. God wants our action. God wants us to act. He wants us to move. He wants us to speak. 
Doesn't it say that we're to be doers of the word, not hearers only? Almost doesn't get you very far. What if I told you I'm headed to Colorado and, I, and I'm supposed to get on a plane? I almost got on the plane, right? Am I any closer to Colorado? How about everybody's done this? I'm driving on the interstate, going somewhere, my destination, and I almost took the exit, right? I've done that more, more times than I can count. I just did that the other day. But Sarah's like, uh, put your phone down. You're not supposed to be on the phone while you're driving. I'm like, I don't know what exit I'm supposed to take. I've got to look at the map, right? If I almost take the exit, it doesn't get me to where I'm going. My intention doesn't get me very far. How about, I've got an Apple computer here. How about if I almost invested in Apple back when it was first, right? Have I, do I have any money in my bank account for my almost? No, almost doesn't get you very far. Good intentions produces zero results. And for Agrippa to say, you almost persuade me, is to say that he is getting it, right? He is starting to believe, but he's holding back. God wants your yes, not your almost. God wants your yes. It says in Matthew 5, 37, let your yes be yes and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. When God calls you, are you holding back or has your almost become a yes? And here's the thing. We have to be careful that we don't deceive ourselves, that we don't somehow believe that since we moved from no to almost, that we actually have acquired most of yes. But we really don't get to yes until we're all the way at yes. It's not a matter of degrees. Does that make sense to anybody? It, you could say, well, I used to not believe at all, and now I believe a lot more. And uh, I, I used to trust God uh, not at all, and now I trust God a little more. And there is a, such a thing as progress and growth and maturing and, and, and just this gradual. But when it comes to God calling you, and that's what we're talking about this morning, when God says, hey, I have, I'm calling you to do something. I'm calling you to step into a role. I'm calling you to take a step in a direction. At that point, we have to give God our yes, not our intention. So this is a heart issue that plays out in how we live our lives. It's a heart issue. And it is a great opportunity to examine yourself. When God calls, are you at yes or almost? Are you at yes or almost? So that's Agrippa. His response that we want to avoid is not sure. The next guy is Felix. We talked about him just a second ago. And his response is not now. When God calls, that is not the response you want to give. Acts 24, 25. Now, as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, go away for now. When I have a more convenient time, I will call for you. Picasso said, only put off until tomorrow what you are willing to die having left undone. 
I mean, think about something like writing a will, right? Well, I'm, I'm going to get around to that. Well, it only works on this side of eternity, right? And so only put off to, to, to tomorrow what you're willing to die having left undone. Going back to Felix, somebody should have read him Ephesians 6. Well, Paul was there. He wrote Ephesians. Maybe he should have said this to him. I don't know. But Ephesians 6, 1 through 2 says, Working together with him, we strongly urge you not to receive God's grace in vain by turning away from sound doctrine and his merciful kindness. For he says, at the acceptable time, the time of grace, I listened to you and I helped you on the day of salvation. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. When God opens a door, don't wait. And when God calls, don't delay. Now, the way that you walk out God's calling will be given to you in a manner that God gives it to you. And there may be a process and there may be steps and there may be times of, of waiting on God. But when he calls you, you have to give him a yes. And if that means you give him a yes and then you wait for him to open a door, then so be it. But this, like I said just a second ago, this is a heart issue. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So let me show you two examples back to back of how this mindset can actually block God's purposes for your life. And if you are in that situation where you feel like as far as you walking with God and moving forward with him, you just feel stuck. You feel like forward movement has just ground to a halt for some reason. Then listen to this. I'm talking to you. This may be an issue, but I want you to hear this. This is uh, two guys, and, it, and it's, it's very convenient how this kind of gets laid out because it's all one basic story here. But in Luke 9, 59... Then he said to another, follow me. There's the call of God. Okay? And then these two guys give the wrong response. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, on the surface, their response seems reasonable. And on the surface, Jesus' response seems unreasonable. But I want to look under the surface and I want to show you why their responses disqualified them from following Jesus. These two guys basically said, the first guy said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And the second guy said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell. If we take those statements and we simplify them all the way down, what each one of them said was the same thing. Lord, me first. Lord, me first. And I want you to know 
That is a 100% contradictory statement. You can't in any type of real honesty make that statement, Lord, me first. If I call him Lord, I can't say me first. And if I say me first, I can't really honestly call him Lord. They don't work together. And if I say, Lord, not now, isn't that the same thing? If I call him Lord, I can't, I don't have, if I say, Jesus, you are Lord of all my life, but I don't want to do that thing right now. Well, who's Lord? And so it's a contradictory statement. So Lord, not now is contradictory. And this is a great opportunity to examine ourselves. When God calls you, are you at yes or are you at not now? Now I have one more person and one more response that I want to look at. And this last one is, uh, I don't have a person for it actually. And the last one, so with the first one we had, Agrippa, not sure. That's the, that's the, we want to avoid that response when God calls. We had Felix, not now. We want to avoid that response. The last one I have here is, I just have to call it anonymous. Not me. Not me. And I don't have a story for this one. Because the people that make this mistake by making that response, they don't have a story. And they forfeited their story. And this is a, this is a kind of a tricky one for people. Because there is a, uh, there is a bit of this that feels like humility, but it's not humility. It's false humility. What it really is, is just disobedience. But not me. Not me. Um, no one writes their story, tells their tale, sings their song, because they decided to pass on what God was calling them to do. And God moved on to someone who said, here I am, send me. So this person we're calling anonymous opted out. Not me. Yes, God, I hear you call. Use somebody else. And here comes the false humility. I'm not good enough to do that. Somebody's much more equipped to do that that you called me to do. Moses tried that, didn't he? Man, what would have happened if, if the things that Moses did didn't come to pass? That was part of God's plan. That was part of God's purpose. It affected the lives of, I, I don't even know how to quantify that. Not me. Isaiah 6, 8 says this, And I heard the voice of the Lord, there's the call of God, saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. When God calls, our answer has to be yes. I, I told you I had a moment uh, years ago that was kind of one of those moments where I could have, I had an opportunity to say not me. And um, we were in a season, this was right before we started Journey Church. Um, 
it was probably, I don't even know, it might be less than a year before Pastor Sean said, God said, start this church. And there was just nothing going on. It was just a dry season. We were serving where we could, uh, you know, we were doing what we could see to do for the kingdom of God. And it just didn't seem like a whole lot was happening in, in my life at that moment. And I decided um, that I needed a career. And so I, I went out and I, I got a job in this line of work and I even enrolled in an academy and, and began the process of really walking down a very intentional, long-term commitment. And one night I was in my basement where I had a bunch of my music stuff set up and I was sitting there and I heard God speak to me. And you're like, was it an audible voice? Well, it might as well have been an audible voice. It was so clear. And he said, look, you can do, you can go down this path if you want and I'll even bless you, but you will do it knowing that it is not what I have called you to do. Or you can do what I call you to do, and it will be a more difficult path. But you'll know that you are fulfilling your purpose for your life that I have created. And I immediately, I I pulled out of this academy and I began moving another direction to follow God. Because, and here's the reason why, I didn't think I could ever truly enjoy my life if I knew that there was something God had called me and designed me to do that I had refused to do. How could I ever enjoy this life knowing that I had a purpose that I was intentionally not fulfilling for him? How could I ever say, how could I ever say, Lord, my whole life is an offering, a sacrifice of praise to you, my reasonable act of worship, when I had said, not me, when he called me. How could I do that? And so I said, here I am, send me. Now, let me, let me zero in on something that some of you may be thinking. You may be thinking, um, it'll be okay if I don't say yes, because God will just pick somebody else. And that is what will happen. He will pick somebody else. But that doesn't mean that something won't be lost. Certainly, your destiny and purpose will be lost. Does that mean God will never do anything, never use you ever again? No, of course not. But you, I'm, like I said, I'm going to circle back to what I said at the beginning. You do have a unique and special and significant purpose for why you exist and why you're here. Very special, very significant. And what will happen is that'll be lost. And then here's the thing that's even more scary than that. And I'm just gonna throw a what if out here to you. What if there are specific people that are connected to your purpose? What if? What happens in that case, you know? God says, go do this thing. I say, Lord, not me, pick somebody else. And God's like, okay. And he picks somebody else. But those, that person has other people connected to their purpose. I'm speaking somewhat hypothetically here, but I, I don't think I'm getting real far away from the truth. And so 
we need to be really, really serious when we hear the call of God on our life. And we want to be really careful that we aren't saying, not me. Jeremiah 29, 11 says this. You guys know this verse. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. For you. And this is the thing I really want to communicate to you. I want to get this across to you. God has unique special plans for you. I've said this the whole time this morning, and I want to keep saying it. I want to really get it through to you. You have an amazing purpose for your life. Every person in this room, you could be a pastor or a missionary or full-time ministry person, or you could just be somebody that's like, I just work at a job and I just kind of do my thing. It doesn't matter. God designed you for a purpose. You're unique. You are significant. You're not a member of a category. You're not a type of a person. You're a unique individual. There's nobody else like you. Not exactly like you. You're absolutely unique. And what I'm saying is you are not expendable or replaceable. So God can say, I'm calling you, and you could say, not me. You're not replaceable. You're not. So if God is calling you and you say, not me, I'm not doing a real good job of putting my significant statements in soft, fluffy packages today. If God is calling you and you're saying, not me, it just means you're saying no. Let's just be honest. That's what that means, right? So that's not humility, it's just disobedience. And this is a great opportunity to examine yourself. When God calls, are you at yes or are you at not me? So I told you this message today is about how to regret proof your life. And we've gone over all the wrong answers. And so I just want to close by giving you the very, very simple solution. And you can just begin thanking Jesus right now that it's not a 10-step process. It's not a three-point sermon. It's very, very simple, but unbelievably effective. So how do you regret proof your life? The answer is very simple. It is surrender. Total and absolute surrender. When you are at a place where you really, truly, legitimately have taken everything and said, God, it is all yours. I mean all of it. I mean everything. Every person, every thought, every breath, every dream, all of it, everything that is me, I gather it all together and it's all yours completely. How can you have any regret? Let me say this, regret can only live in an unsurrendered area of your life. That's the only place regret can live. Now you could say, well, I have surrendered. I've done that. I surrendered everything. You know, the beautiful thing about surrender is it's extremely objective. It is not subjective at all. So I could tell you, you know, I had a brown house 
but I painted it white. And I could say that to you, but you could just come over and stand in my lawn and look and see whether I have a brown house or a white house. I either did do it or I didn't do it. And surrender is much like that. Uh, it, and the, that's because when surrender happens, the fruit of surrender follows. Listening, listen to what Jesus said. He talks about an ongoing process of surrender. Mark chapter 8, 34. Calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. A lot of translations say, let him take up his cross daily, daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Following Jesus is what we think of and call getting saved. But following Jesus is also the ongoing process of being saved. So how many people, they recognize that Jesus is the door, right? Jesus is, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. And they step inside the door, but they don't realize that that's just the start of a path. And so it's an ongoing process. And I want to ask the band to come back up, and we're going to close this service out. But there's something specific I want to do as we sing this last song. I want us to ask the Holy Spirit as we sing, and I'm going to pray and, and, and kind of start this process. I want us to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us if there is any area of our life that is not surrendered. Because sometimes we get so good at convincing ourselves that we even fool ourselves. And we don't even realize it. That's happened to me more than once. I'm just being totally honest. And I had to have the Holy Spirit say, you have not surrendered that area of your life to me. It's like if you own a big house and you say, God, you can have this whole house. Every room, every room, the living room, the upstairs, the bedroom, the, the basement, you can have it all. But there's some little back storage room that has one of those like padlocks on it, right? And you're like, well, that room's just got my stuff in it. And we can convince ourselves that we've given Jesus the whole house. But in times like this, we can ask the Holy Spirit and he might say, you know, there is that back room that's got those things that you think is yours. And I, I'd like you to give me those things. So let's all stand up and let me pray. And as we do this last song, I just want to ask you to listen. Worship God, sing the song, but I want to ask you to just listen to the Holy Spirit. And I don't have an, an altar set up or anything like that or, or some, some way for you to come and, and write something down or anything. You don't need to do that today. I just want you to listen. And if you hear the Holy Spirit identify some area of your life, it could be something small, like a, an in, a seemingly insignificant habit. It could be something massive, like elevating your loved ones in priority above God. But whatever it is, I want you in that moment to say, Lord, I repent of that. I re, I, I'm changing the way I think about that, and I'm now releasing that to you. 
And in this moment, Lord God, I give that to you and I surrender completely to you. I commit myself to you and I give you my yes. That's what we're going to do. Father, right now, by your Holy Spirit, I pray and ask that you would move through this room in the name of Jesus and that you would speak to each individual person and reveal to us whatever area of our life may be unsurrendered that may be a potential for massive regret later on. Today, Lord God, we want to walk out of here completely surrendered to you with everything that we are in your hands, Lord God, completely entrusting our life to you. So Lord God, right now, I ask that you just move through this room and reveal these things to us in Jesus' name. Amen.